This is a Saddleback Church podcast. Hey friends, and welcome back to Doable Discipleship, a Saddleback Church podcast designed to help you deepen your friendship with God, or as we love to call it... It's the show that helps you grow. You know what? It is the show that helps you grow. It does. And today, we are excited to help you grow in relationships. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) If you've been like listening weekly, we've been kind of going through this series talking about relational health. Sure. And so this is actually going to be the last of that series. And um, what I did is I asked Linda, my name is Jason, by the way, that's Linda. Hey there. And I asked Linda to look at some key relationships of the Bible and to kind of see what lessons can we learn from it, both for the good and for the not so good. (laughs) So we're going to start off with the good. This is that hashtag relationship goals section, mostly. Mostly. And uh, so, so Linda, why don't you share with us what uh, the first relationship that you found that you wanted to share about today? Sure. So the first one that I thought about was Naomi and Ruth. And I thought that this was a beautiful picture of loyalty and self-sacrifice. Um, so there's, in this in the story, um, Naomi has, you know, moved to a faraway land with her sons and her husband. Her husband died. Her sons dies. Now she's left with her daughters-in-law. Mm. And now the famine is over in their homeland. So she's going to go back. And she tells her daughters-in-law, you know what? Just go back to your families. Like, there's nothing for you. I am now a destitute widow, which is in Jewish culture, that was like, yeah. Negative awesome. Not great. Yeah. Not great. And so she tells her daughters, you know, daughters-in-law, go back to your families. It's going to be better for you. And one of, at first they both refuse, but then one of them is like, okay, fine, I'll go. That's Orpa. But then Ruth, she like, you know, digs her heels and she says, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. And then she says, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Remember, Ruth was from a pagan culture. So this is yeah. a pretty, that's a big thing to say. It's quite the change. Yeah. yeah. She says, wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. I mean, and that that's pretty strong language. Yeah. And so I just thought, what a beautiful picture of just this loyalty and being a six loyalty is something that that's why it had to be first. In Enneagram six, just Sorry. for those of you who, who may not <laughs> understand what being a six means. Yeah, <laughs> that's it's the loyalty uh, section. Yes. But <laughs> just knowing that, you know, she's saying, I will give up everything that's familiar. I will leave everything that I know and I will be with you for the rest of your life. Yeah. And, in, like I referenced earlier, Jewish culture, a widow was the most, I mean, that was the saddest position. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you were destitute, you had no family because typically if the husband died, then the responsibility to care for the widow would have gone to her sons mm-hmm. who also passed away. So now she has no one yeah. and she's going to travel back to her homeland. So, I mean, this is a woman who had nothing and Ruth said, I will be with you. Yeah, I think what's interesting about this story is to look at it from both a Naomi perspective and a Ruth perspective. Sure. For, you know, for from 
a Naomi perspective, one can kind of think that she she lived with such a a, a character that mm-hmm. Ruth would want to stay. Yeah, and be absolutely. With her, that she wasn't driving Ruth away. <laughs> yeah, talk <laughs> about a good relationship <laughs> with your mother-in-law. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that it was this. Yeah, that she had held herself as this person that that Ruth would drop everything for. Right. Even even say that your God would be my God. So one can almost assume or ascertain from that. Yeah. That like she saw something in Naomi that she wanted to be with, to Mm -hmm. emulate, to to live with, to grow with. And knowing that what she was entering into was a life of poverty, not (laughs) knowing that she was going to be Boaz and all this stuff later. Right, but be, it, but they entered into such a poverty life, right? That Ruth would go and follow the workers and pick up mm-hmm. the leftovers. Yeah, the from them. Yeah. yeah, and and they just thought that they were going to be living off of that for the rest of their lives. Right. Um, so, and then from Ruth's perspective, it's that self-sacrifice part mm-hmm. that you were talking about. As you were reading the story again, to me, what I kind of pictured was. Jesus saying, come and follow me, mm-hmm. and the fishermen dropping their stuff yeah. and saying, uh, okay, I'm going to follow you, and almost saying, like, your God will be my God, knowing they came from a Jewish culture, but sure. it's a different thing when you're yeah. walking with Jesus, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So so I think that picture is kind of, I, I, hadn't, I hadn't heard that before, but but that's what rang to me as I was, yeah. as I was hearing you recount the story. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that was So 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 what is your big relationship goal out of that one? Is there like like how would you say okay, out of this story, this relationship we see in the Bible, we can take away this relationship goal? Hmm. I think <laughs> I think looking at the the people in our lives, our friends, the people that we love, being willing to love them even when it makes us uncomfortable, even when it means sacrifice on our part, even when it's not easy, that we love them more than we love our own comfort, than we love our own, you know, plans and and what we had for ourselves. And we love them more. And when you see someone in need and you know, like, and you know that you can be, it has your name on it. Step up. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, so that was a great first one to start with. Yes. I I know you got a few more. So what's the next one that you brought? I do. I do. I want to jump over to Job and his friends. So when you read the opening chapters of the book of Job, you know that he was a very rich, wealthy man who had everything. He was considered, you know, wealthy by all standards at the time, family and flocks and the whole thing. And in a span of about 24 hours, he lost everything. His, you know, all of his flocks and herds were killed. Imagine everything bad happening. Everything bad. (laughs) It's just not good. And in Job chapter two, his friends have heard what has happened to Job. And they, they go to be with him. And it says, starting in verse 12, it says, when they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. And this to me is this incredible picture of stepping into the grief or the pain or bearing the burden of somebody else. Mm -hmm. 
you know, it would have been easy for them. They wouldn't have sent a text, but they would have sent, you know, a missive, you know, and said, oh, <laughs> sorry, but they showed up. So they came present physically, but then they also, I mean, for the first seven days, they were like, I would want to be able to be like this. This is the example that I would want to be just present. Yeah. They didn't feel like they had to have the right words. They knew they couldn't fix it. There was nothing for them to do but be with him. And they entered in with him because it says that they began to weep and they tore their robes, which is an uh, ancient Near East sign of despair. great grief and despair. Like they entered in with him. And I thought, man, so often when somebody is hurting, we want to send like, okay, well, I hope it, I'm so sorry you're going through that. I hope you feel better, but we don't want to enter in because it's messy and it's hard and we don't know what to say and we don't know how to fix it. And a lot of times we can't. So I just thought that they were just a perfect example of entering in with nothing but themselves to offer. Like, I'm just going to be with you. Yeah. I mean, and I can't imagine seriously sitting still for seven days and saying nothing. Yeah. That's, I mean, but then it says, because the grief was so great. Yeah. You know, and it's like, mm. what is Pastor Rick Warren used to say? The greater the grief, the fewer the words, something like that. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's no, it's true. I think there's there's a lot there to to think about and to emulate and to use that as kind of this almost this driver for us to understand how to be with people mm -hmm. who are grieving, how to be that type of friend. And mm -hmm. it's not trying to solve things. It's not trying to give words of comfort. It's not trying to you know, be more than what is needed, which is usually in that, in, especially in the initial period, just, just presence. Yeah. Just some, you know, just the knowledge, just Job's knowledge that his friends were there mm -hmm. was enough for right then. And while this was a very extreme circumstance, I mean, this yeah. was like the most profound, horrible thing you could think of. Yeah. I think that there are principles that are transferable to less dramatic challenges when you're going when somebody that you know and love is going through something just going and being with them not feeling like you've got to make it better and offer them seven reasons why it possibly happened or yeah. you know it's just just be with them yeah um one of the things and just parenthetically as i started doing this research in general what i began to find is that there's no perfect relationship in scripture <laughs> and in, in other words every single relationship we can point to that has a hashtag relationship goal also has a, and don't do this. You know, none <laughs> of them is like a perfect example. It usually becomes a warning at some point. Right. Yeah. So like in the story of Job, yeah. for the first seven days, oh man, gold star. <laughs> but then after that, they spend more than 20 chapters trying to explain to Job what he did wrong. Mm -hmm. That's not helpful. Yeah. Assuming that this is all your fault. Right. And, <laughs> and clearly you did something to... <laughs> You know, yeah, it kind of goes downhill after, after that, after, after that first week, you know, so, so it's both a, a goal on the front end, but just the flip side is the reminder that the presence is the most important thing you can offer because sometimes there's, even if there is an explanation, it doesn't always help. Yeah. But a lot of times you don't have an explanation. Yeah. So a lesson from that, right? Be the type of friend who shows up. But then don't start opening your mouth and saying like, well, I mean, you did, you, I'm sure you sinned. So yeah. I'm, 
guessing that this is God's punishment for whatever, you know, like that doesn't help. No, or even trying to make it okay. (laughs) Well, God's going to bring good. It's like he will. That's how he is. But in that moment, that's not. Yeah. Yeah. No. (laughs) So we got good things and not great things from Job's friends. Yes. All right. So we've done Naomi and Ruth. We've done Job's friends. What is our third relationship today? I looked, the next one that caught my attention was, it's a story um, in the Gospels when four friends bringing one of their friends to Jesus and they come, he needs healing. He's on a mat. They get to the door. It's jammed full of people. So they get up on somebody's roof and dig through the roof. Mm -hmm. There's no accounting of (laughs) if they ever apologized. How they made the hole. yeah, Or if they (laughs) (laughs) made reparations for the hole in the roof, I'd be put out but nonetheless but they show up and they bring this man to jesus and it says so this is from luke 5 and it says they couldn't find a way to take him in because of so many people so they made a hole in the roof over where jesus stood and they let the bed with the sick man on it down before jesus but then listen to what it says it says when jesus saw their faith referring to the four men who had carried him he said to the man friend, your sins are forgiven. And what caught my attention here is that we're not talking about the sick man's faith. We're talking about the faith of his friends. Yeah. And I thought, you know, sometimes, um, even I think it's in Job where it says that, you know, even if a man forsakes, you know, forsakes the almighty, he still needs his friends. Mm -hmm. And this is, I think a beautiful picture of the fact that when we surround ourselves with people who are in this journey of loving and serving Jesus, just as we are, when our faith is weak or when it's challenged or when it feels like it's not even there, when we have surrounded ourselves with people who know him, Hmm. sometimes we can be metaphorically carried by their faith through seasons when we're like, I don't know if I believe right now. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I don't know if I can. I don't know. You know, it's, it's those moments where, Maybe something catches you so off guard, a wound, a, a relationship falls apart, a diagnosis comes through and you're like, I, I don't even know what to do with this. Yeah. And so I just, I loved the picture of this man's friends saying, okay, you can't get there on your own, <laughs> but we're going to actually physically carry you. And not just that, right? Because they don't give up. When right. they see how crowded it is. It's not like... Ah, we they should... went with the intention of being able to just walk, walk right, right in, in the door <laughs> with the stretcher, right? So I think this is an, an, an added on friendship goal of this story. Yeah. Is is that going the extra mile For sure. idea, right? When something with, something with your friend, uh, with somebody that you care about is so important to you, which is mm-hmm. what, which is, it's clear in this story that they not only brought the friend on the stretcher, <laughs> they figured out how to devise a way to get him up on the roof. Yeah, I, think about the logistics of putting a man <laughs> on a stretcher, carrying that up onto the roof with four people. And then making the hole, and right. then lowering him down. I mean, that took some some thinking, some planning, some time, some yeah. care. Yeah, and then having to, to figure out with the owner of the house, unless they pay, unless the owner paid them for making a sunroof. <laughs> Right? We don't know. We don't know. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, that's a great that's a great example of 
of friendship and going that long way, having the faith and not just having that faith, but faith so much that Jesus recognized it and said, I see what you guys did for your friends. And I know the faith that you have, that you were so desperate to bring him to me. Yeah. That you're good. You're healed. (laughs) Yeah. I I got you. Yeah. I see that. And I got you. (laughs) (laughs) So I love that one. So just a quick recap what we talked about. Naomi and Ruth, that idea of loyalty and self-sacrifice in in stepping up when people are in need, Mm -hmm. when people are lonely, Mm -hmm. and that idea of being of such character that people will want to, to step up for you and with you. And then with Job's friends, that that being there, that ministry of presence, mm-hmm. um, that that just pouring love in your your proximity, in mm-hmm. your availability, in your mm-hmm. presence with somebody, and then learning to stop talking. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then the four friends with with the faith. And with the willingness to go that extra mile to mm-hmm. do what needs to be done to get your friend the help that they need. Mm-hmm. Great example so far. I know you got a couple more. I do. I do. Um, another one, as I was thinking about Noah and his sons, you know, you have to figure, so God tells Noah, you're going to build a boat. Now, remember, he didn't live like in a nice seaside town. He lived in the desert. Yeah. Yeah. And this didn't, <laughs> this didn't get built. It wasn't like a weekend warrior project. So God no. comes to Noah, tells him, you know, gives him the specifications. You're going to build this ark because it's going to rain, which has never happened. Yeah. And it, you know, the theologians differ on exactly how long it took, but let's say it took years. I've seen some people say like a hundred years. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. not a quick thing. Quite the effort. Quite the effort. <laughs> and it made no sense to do yeah. where he was. I mean, where are you going to get that much water ever to float a boat that big? That but, much wood. Right. So, I mean, all <laughs> the things, desert. And yet, there's no indication. He's got three sons, and they've got families. Yeah. There's no indication that his family was like, oh, Dad, you've got to knock this off. You know, I always think of the Steve Carell. Yeah. <laughs> Evan Almighty. Yes. <sighs> yes. So good. But... In the real story, like, I mean, it, it also doesn't give us any indication that he had a large building crew. I mean, it was probably him and his son, you know, no yeah. one's son's construction company. Yeah. And so, but they trusted that their dad had heard from God. They trusted the character of their dad and they stood with him. And so then when it was time to go in the ark, still no rain. I mean, they just went with their families. And Not I, just that, they saw animals coming too. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. What do you do when you see... Every animal on the planet, two by two, yeah. except some seven, but <laughs> two by two is more poetic. Yeah. But no. nonetheless, just this idea of, you know, the Bible, when, when it introduces Noah, it talks to him, it talks about him as a righteous man, yeah. like the only yeah. righteous man. And so he had a relationship with God that his sons trusted mm-hmm. so that if he's like, well, okay, God told me to build a boat. I know there's no water. And it's going to rain. No, we've never seen that. Everyone else is mocking my dad. Yeah. Everyone else is. I mean, <laughs> you know, we get irritated with people who are fixing their car in the driveway for more than a, a long weekend, <laughs> you know, and this guy's building a boat in the front yard for decades. Not just any size boat. <laughs> Big old boat. Big old boat. And yet his family stood by him. And I it, I just thought, 
they saw the character, they knew, they trusted him and his relationship with God, and they were willing to stand by him, even when others around him would have easily, I mean, they would have been justified in thinking he was off his rocker. Yeah. And I think how many times I want to take a risk or somebody that I know wants to take a risk and it looks for all intents and purposes, like this is not going to go well, or Mm. this is weird, or this doesn't make any sense. And yet the people that stand by me go, no, no, no. I know who you are. I know you trust God and I'm going to, I'm going to stand with you and I'm going to support you in what you believe God is calling you to do. Mm -hmm. Um, That's powerful. Yeah. That's powerful because sometimes what God calls us to do doesn't make sense to the world. Yeah. You know, and the, the watching world says, oh no. (laughs) Yeah. The strength of their relationship Mm -hmm. was, was more so than of maybe one would say logic Yeah, (laughs) or, (laughs) you know, or the derision of other people, Mm -hmm. you know, like it. And um, so I, yeah, I love this one. Uh, There's so many good ones. Now, the next one that I want to look at, we have to acknowledge. So the, one of my favorite stories is the prodigal son. And of course this is a parable. So these weren't real people, but they represented. Yeah. They're showing the father's love. So God's real. Still a great example of it. But it's a great example and a great story. So what I saw here was two things. So you have two sons in the story. You have the one that gives it its title, the prodigal son, but you also have the second son. And I think that the, the figure of the father in the story demonstrates a couple of really important um, relational things that we can do. And the first is with the prodigal son, he shows mercy to this prodigal son. Yeah. And then when we get to the other son, he speaks the truth in love. And we're going to see both of those. So to the prodigal, we see that, you know, in the story, in this parable, this kid has taken his dad's inheritance, basically said, you know, I'm just going to, do what I want. He's gone off and he's done everything. Like if you had a list of good Jewish kids, don't do this. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> he used it as a checklist. Yeah. <laughs> you know? funny. He, he's like wine, women, song, done. <laughs> you <know>? Pigs. <laughs> Pigs. <laughs> and he's, you know, he's so destitute by the end of it. He, he finally says, I'll just go back and work for my father as a hired hand. And, in the story, the father, he's never stopped watching for his son. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't say how long he was gone. It was enough to blow the entire inheritance. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this father, who had every right at this point to disown his son. I mean, his son had, you know, for all practical purposes, he could be no longer his son. Yeah. Um, it says when he was, a, this is from Luke 15, well, he was still a long way off. So the son is coming back to just ask to be a hired hand. And he says, his father saw him a long way off. So he's watching. And then it says he was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. So, I mean, there's some important things to know. Like this was an undignified thing for a Jewish man to do. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, keep in mind, they wore like tunics, right? They weren't long wearing, robes, they yeah. weren't wearing like, Levi's. So (laughs) in order to run, you would have had to hike that thing up Mm -hmm. in order to get clearance for your legs. But also Jewish men didn't run. That in itself was undignified. Mm -hmm. So now he's running to his son, throws his arms around him and kissed him. His son's unclean. By Levitical law, 
he's been hanging with pigs. Like he needs to be cleansed. Mm-hmm. He's, he's got to go through the whole process, the whole kit and caboodle. And so this father, he's not, he's not taking any of the rights to be angry or separate from or disown. He's saying, not only do I still want my son, not only will I receive him, but the mercy of showing like he would allow himself, he would have then been technically ceremonially unclean. Mm-hmm. Cause it was like cooties. I mean, the way that, you know, I mean, it, if you yeah. touch something that was unclean, you became unclean. Mm-hmm. So that level of mercy towards someone who deserved so much less. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously in the, you know, the story's pointing to God's love. So we won't always get this one. You know, this is, this is a tough one to emulate, but the fact that we have to learn how to extend mercy to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, because people will, they will hurt us. They will sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. And you cannot always wait for them. Yeah. I mean, the son was coming, but the father was waiting. Mm -hmm. The father was waiting before the son was coming. You know what I mean? Like we have to, we have to be willing sometimes to make the first move to offer mercy to somebody. Because I think sometimes we get in a standoff, even with people we love, you know, we're like, yeah. We're like, no, they're going to have to, they did this. They said this, they took me for granted. They, whatever, like. Yeah. They have to make everything right first before, before. they can get forgiveness or mercy or right standing. And this goes the complete opposite of you're unclean. Yeah. You've done all this stuff. You've taken half of the inherit. you know, all the inheritance, you blew it. You, uh, dishonored me it was a mockery of me in front of the community and yet i'm gonna throw you a big party yeah (laughs) yeah i mean because he goes on to he gave him his robe he put a ring on his finger he put and each of these were signs of honor and signs of of equality like you are welcomed back in, not just as a slave which is what he was offering but you're still part of the family and you're still his, he was fully restored to his position. And I think sometimes even, even though we say we've forgiven someone, we still hold them at arm's length. You know, we're yeah. like, well, you know, <laughs> you're going to have to earn back. And sometimes there's an appropriateness to trust that's been broken to kind of, you know, not just, you know, lift yeah. all barriers. You know, sometimes we have to, to trust in some ways needs to be earned for our safety and protection in those things. Yeah. But then there's also times where a person has repented and they have come back and yet we're still just angry. And it's like, you don't deserve this. (laughs) And I think the picture of mercy is beautiful. But I also think with the second son, so the second son. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the second son. Oh, and he's usually the one that gets left out of the retelling because we focus on the prodigal so much. But he gets teed off. Mm -hmm. He's like, Hey, you know, <laughs> I have been here this and whole justifiably time. so. Right? Yeah. I mean, he's like, I have. We been can in- resonate with that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's why we don't tell it because we're like, ooh, I see myself there exactly. too. Exactly. <laughs> it's a bummer when you can see yourself in all the dumb things people do in the Bible. You're like, oh man, but he's like, all these years I've been slaving for you, and you never, and I never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never <sighs> gave me even a young goat. So I could celebrate with my friends. You never threw me a party. And now you're all celebrating him. I didn't go dancing. I didn't touch no pigs. (laughs) You don't even give me a goat. 
<laughs> That's just how I picture him. Yeah, I <laughs> your theater background <laughs> is coming through. But then the father says to him, he says, my son, you are always with me. And I love that it's present tense. Not you have always been with me, but you yeah. are. Like, chill out. You have never lost status. You are with me and everything I have is yours. You want a lamb? It's yours. You want a goat? You've already got it. <laughs> like, there's this sense of like, he's reminding him that the relationship was not severed. And yes, you know, you thought you were earning. I've been slaving for you. No, no, no. You are, you have the same status. You are with me and everything I have is yours. But then he also says, but your brother, we have to celebrate because he was dead. He was gone. Yeah. And now he's come back. He was, what he said, he was dead and he was alive again. He was lost and he is found. So sometimes just remembering that sometimes we have to, to remind people of the truth, even when they, they come at us and it's like, well, what about this? It's like, well, now wait a minute. Yeah. You know? And I think sometimes even in our relationships, we need to be able to gently speak the truth in love and to be able to say, no, that's, that's not how it is. You know, somebody comes at you with high emotion, accusation, whatever it is, you've got to be able to be like, let's take a breath. Yeah. (laughs) So that's Mm. what I saw there. So yeah, that's a great one. And then I think the last relationship goal that I wanted to look at is a little bit different, but it's just one of the things we talk about in discipleship is we always want to be pouring into somebody and we always want to have somebody pouring into us. And so, and that's just wise, (laughs) but it's how we grow. And when you hear that, there's one relationship that really comes to mind. Right. (laughs) One, one key one. (laughs) One key one. And that would be Paul and Timothy. And you know, so Timothy was this young believer that Paul mentored. And I mean, he refers to him as a son in the faith. Um, in Philippians 2, Paul talks about Timothy this way. He says, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. So there was this he had taken Timothy in and Timothy traveled with him and Timothy learned from him and he poured into to Timothy what he had learned. And eventually he's going to commission Timothy to then carry on what he has taught him so that then Timothy would be pouring into some of the churches that he had ultimately, that Paul had founded. And then he entrusts Timothy with the ministry that he had done. And then Timothy would be pouring out. And I just think that that sometimes we get so so wrapped up in our own spiritual, like I'm growing and I'm doing what I need to do and we're not taking in from other, you know, we're not seeking out people who can pour into us. We're like just, you know, headstrong moving forward, but we're also not pouring out into the next generation or somebody who's just a little bit behind where we are yeah. spiritually. And God's design for discipleship is that we would have people pouring into us, right? Mm -hmm. Us learning from them what God has taught them, but then us then pouring out to others and then encouraging them to do the same. And then that's that discipleship relationship that we do. (laughs) Can't define something by saying the word twice, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
No, and, and that's another great relationship example, just in seeing how they operated together, how they held one another in esteem. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that Paul looked down on Timothy in Not any at way. All. He thought he thought the best. He thought the world of Timothy mm-hmm. and would treat him well. Would would bring him with him on his travels and yeah. spend that time to invest in him. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a looking down like, ah, eh, yeah, just watch me and you'll see kind of how it's done. No, it was a it was a literal bonding. Mm-hmm. Well, not literal. It was a bonding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Relationship that they had with each other, mm-hmm. and that that's. A relationship goal to have people in your life that you can have that same type of relationship with. Absolutely. Um, so, so those were our hashtag relationship goals. Yes. Naomi and Ruth, Job's friends for a little bit, the four friends and the paralytic, Noah and his sons, the father and the prodigal son, and the other th- and son. the other son, and no Paul name. and Timothy. Now. This was clearly not an exhaustive list Correct. of great relationships or um, valuable relationships to learn from in the Bible. Nope. These are just a little picking. Um, but <laughs> you also came prepared oh, yeah. with some relationship warnings. Which were actually <laughs> far easier to find, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there's a reason for that. We can see the brokenness of people. Uh, everything it. that was written was written for our learning. So there it is. So these ones you're just going to kind of breeze through. Yeah. And we'll just kind of, uh, you know, mention little bits about them. So let's start with the first one. Yeah. So first bad relationship, Delilah and Samson. Yeah. That's yeah. clearly not a great one. <laughs> yes. She's pretty much a manipulative betrayer. She acted like he was truly important to her, but she was working behind the scenes to betray him and... Yeah, maybe a a note for people mm. who are listening. If somebody enters your life and repeatedly asks how to defeat you, oh yeah, well, that might be a sign. Mm. You know, like as Bill Engvall would say, the comedian, "There's your sign." Yeah, you know, that <laughs> yeah, might I mean, be a cue that maybe you need to uh, cut bait there. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that <laughs> may not be healthy. Um, another one, King Rehoboam's bad friend. So King Rehoboam, when he comes to the throne, um, the people that he is going to be leading aren't necessarily super excited about his leadership. And the, his dad's advisors mm-hmm. say to him, be gentle with the people, treat yeah. them well. Show them and, love. You know, yeah, show yeah. them love, like be a good and you know, a good king and they'll respond and you'll be able to lead them. That was the good advice. That was the good advice. But Other then, people though. But then he said, nah, I'm going to call my buddies. And he calls his friends and he's like, what do you think? And they're like, show them who's boss. You no know? mercy. <laughs> Iron fist. And yeah. And Didn't that's what he too did. Well. No. Mm-mm. Yeah. So, so the advice there is, you know, um, seek wise counsel. Right. And, you know, try to fit it in with what you know to be true, like of God, yeah, the Bible, and, you know, and what these uh, not great advisors were saying was clearly not advice worth emulating, but it made him feel like, oh, this is how to be powerful. Well, yeah, it appealed to his basest, you know, that desire for power and, you know, to lord (laughs) over. And when they told him what he wanted to hear... Yeah. He was like, that, that's what I'll do. Wrong. 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 Um, there's there's just so many. Um, 
the story of Bar Jesus, his name is also Elemis, but he's the friend of a guy named Sergius Paulus who he was pursuing knowing about God. He sought out. He was like, come tell me about God. And Bar Jesus is getting in there and he's like interfering and he's running interference. He did not want his friend to, I mean, he just made a huge scene. He interfered with his pursuit of trying to learn about the Lord. And it's like, I think sometimes we have people in our lives that offer every distraction to keep us. Oh, you don't, don't, don't get up early and go to church, hang out with me, do that. And it's like, no, 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 no. You need to surround yourself with people that encourage you in your faith, not find a million reasons, excuses for you not to. Yeah. That's a good warning. Yeah. Somebody is taking is purposefully seems to be taking you or away from God or pointing you away from God. Yeah. It's like not the best. Yeah. We get in enough trouble on our own. Should we don't be. need people <laughs> to help us. <laughs> um, Pharaoh's cupbearer was another guy we don't want to be like. Um, he was in prison with Joseph. Remember, Joseph got thrown in prison. And uh, he and the baker, they both had dreams. And Joseph interprets them. And when they get out, he says to the cupbearer, okay, you're going to get out of prison today. When you get up there, just remember me. Just say, hey, tell Pharaoh I'm down here. He gets up there. He's like, I'm out. Totally forgets about Joseph. Womp, womp. Yeah, let's try to be faithful to the things we say to our friends. You know, if you say you're going to do it, do it. Yeah, think about your friends, if they need help, you know, kind of all those examples. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Eventually he did. Eventually he did. But it took a while. It took a hot minute. (laughs) And if you're Joseph and you've been in prison unfairly for that long already, it probably felt like a lot. It was like years, (laughs) years. And then, of course, we have Judas, the friend of Jesus. Yeah, don't be like Judas. Don't be like Judas. (laughs) That one's almost self-explanatory. Yeah, just don't put your own interests in front of, you know, others. Yeah. Don't be greedy. Yeah. Don't be selfish. You know, all those great examples. He kind of ruined that relationship. Um, But them's the breaks. (laughs) Yeah. So what I thought was interesting, like I say, about all of these, all of these stories is that to look at ourselves and recognize that we are capable of doing the best that we see, but we're also capable of making every mistake that every one of these other people made. We're, we are capable in our relationships of taking someone in the wrong direction or of not supporting them or of acting out of selfish motives or of having, you know, having one thing on the surface, you know, acting one way, but we've got intents that are completely, maybe they're not as evil as Delilah's, but (laughs) you know, but nonetheless, we yeah. we are capable of doing these things. So we want to be mindful for ourselves of the kind of person we are in the relationships that we have. But we also want to be mindful of the people that we're engaging with and how we're engaging with them and be mindful of the influences that they're having in our lives. Yeah. I, and I hope for you listening that this kind of helps to offer that reminder that we can, um, as you are reading the Bible, as you're having quiet time or you're studying a part of the Bible or whatever it is, be looking at these different relationships that come up and that you see and be thinking about, okay, is there a lesson mm-hmm. to learn through this? Yeah, absolutely. Because oftentimes there is. <laughs> and whether or not for a, a good lesson right. or a warning, right? but there are things that we can take away mm-hmm. um, as you are reading about these people, even though they lived thousands of years ago, still there's still so much to glean from and to learn from in this. So... I love that, Jason. Great. 
Well, Linda, thank you for bringing these relationship goals and relationship warnings to us today. Uh, friends, we uh, hope that you enjoyed this. Make sure uh, to remember that you can uh, find out about more great podcasts from Saddleback Church at saddleback.com slash podcasts. And um, did I have anything else I needed to say? I don't think so. Nope. That's All not. right. <laughs> well then, friends, we love you. And we will be back with you again with another Doable Discipleship next week. If you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or a review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. You can also listen to these episodes on YouTube. Just subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for these conversations, plus lots of other video content. And if you are already listening to us on YouTube, subscribe to the Doable Discipleship Podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Don't forget to visit saddleback.com slash doable to check out all of our previous episodes and go to saddleback.com slash grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events lastly you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com send us your thoughts send us your questions your bible questions your life questions whatever who knows your question might just inspire an upcoming episode thanks again for tuning in to doable discipleship i'm jason whelan and i hope you'll join us again next week